Hello there, friends. It's your old pal, Ariel Halwani, back with another episode of the Wednesday Pod. As you know, I was gone last week, but I'm back. And guess what? I'm never leaving again. That's right. I'm never taking a vacation ever again because I feel like I left you all with a void in your lives and I never want to have that burden on my shoulders ever again. So here I am. And of course, we've got fights going on every single weekend from now until the end of time. So I will be making up for it, I promise. And that starts today with this show because we've got an exciting one coming up for all of you. Later in the program, we'll talk to Tyron Woodley about his big fight coming up against Colby Covington. But first, an old friend stops by. So stay tuned for that. Before we get to all of that, you may be wondering what the heck is going on with the world of college football. And uh, I'm wondering the same as well. It's all very confusing. Big 10 playing, Pac-12 not playing. What is going on? I don't know. It's all very confusing. So... Uh, we've got a great podcast for all of you to figure out all these questions. We've got the great Paul Feinbaum, one of the best journalists out there covering the world of college football. He joins Pablo Torre on Wednesday's edition of the ESPN Daily Podcast. Phenomenal podcast. We've talked about it before. You can download and subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast. If you want some answers to those college football questions, they got them for you. Now, on to today's program, and remember, as always, listener discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ariel Helwani's MMA Show! in your life on this Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new edition of the pod. And as always, we are presented by Modelo. Modelo Especial. Brewed for those with a fighting spirit. And so, my friends, today's show represents the dawn of a new era. This whole week, represents the dawn of a new era for yours truly as you probably have seen and heard by now monday uh, we relaunched dc and helwani with uh, new graphics a new intro new music uh, new colors all that stuff and more it was the return of daniel cormier we had a great show if you haven't listened to it or watched it by now i do urge you to do so it's on the feed same feed where you got this particular podcast and on sunday night you know since March, a lot has happened. A lot has changed. On Sunday, I kind of laid out the new schedule. And uh, longtime listeners and viewers and followers uh, will have noticed that this all is a little different from what you may be used to. And so I wanted to take some time at the beginning of today's show. Um, and by the way, we will be joined by Tyron Woodley later in the program. And it's a great conversation about his upcoming fight against Colby Covington and everything going on in the world. So stay tuned for that. But I wanted to take some time at the beginning of today's show to, as I have enjoyed doing throughout my career, and I think it's something that you guys appreciate and respect, uh, break down the fourth wall a little bit and, and be transparent about what's going on, because I feel like I haven't done that over the last few months. So let's uh, let's rewind the tape very quickly here and go back to March. Um, in March, we were actually going to make some changes to the Monday show. Um, not drastic changes, but little things here or there. I was going to go and do the show in New York, not in Bristol, Connecticut anymore. Just some things like that. 
Um, and, and I think the changes would have ultimately been good for the show in the long run and would have put the, the show in a good spot. Of course, I'm talking about the, the classic Helwani show slash MMA hour show that we've been doing for the past 11 years, believe it or not. And then the pandemic hit and we were like a week away from doing these changes. And so when the pandemic hit, we all had to work from home and stay home. Uh, we had to make some adjustments. Obviously, we couldn't do the same kind of show from home. And so Daniel Cormier and I had been talking for the last maybe two, three years about when he retired, we would do a show together um, and we would call it DC and Hawani and it would be a lot about MMA, but about other things that we enjoy as well, basketball, pro wrestling, uh, football, baseball, etc. We really thought that we could do a great show together. And if, if, if you recall, the week before, actually, no, not the week before, three days before UFC 248 in Las Vegas. Adesanya versus Romero, we did a radio show. That was the first official episode of DC and Hawani. And so the plan was that before every pay-per-view, we would do an episode of DC and Hawani on the radio. It was a radio deal only. DC had signed. It was going to be on radio. And we would continue with the Monday show and the Wednesday stuff and all that stuff. But then the pandemic hits. And now we can't do our regular Monday show anymore. And so I, I asked the powers that be if we can just do DC and Hawani via YouTube as a placeholder to get us to the point where we can go back and start doing the Monday show. Well, lo and behold, what happened? A funny thing happened. What happened was we really liked doing the show. I really liked doing the show. DC really liked doing the show. The powers that be really liked doing the show. And I believe, hope I'm not speaking on behalf of all of you, but I believe that you really liked the show as well. And so then week after week, week after week, I started to think about, wow, what if this was the new normal? What if this was the change that I needed? Because if I'll be honest with you, doing the show for 11 years, booking every single guest that has ever appeared on that show, the grind of getting eight, nine, 10. Remember the old days, I was getting sometimes 14, 15, 16 guests. I think that was the record on the show. And it was obviously much longer back then. That was a grind. And I realized after not doing it for several weeks that uh, it was a massive burden and it was becoming somewhat of a chore. And honestly, it was actually making me not really love MMA as much as I once did because I wasn't watching fights like, oh, who's going to win? I'm excited. There's buzz, all that stuff. I was watching fights with the, with, with the thought in mind, like, who can I get from this fight on the show Monday? Who will be available? Who will be hard to book, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not why I got into this. That's not why I love doing the show. And I know most hosts don't have to do that sort of thing, but that was the, the, the job that I assumed and the role that I had. And uh, I was not only hosting, but I was booking it as well. And it just became a lot. And so when I started doing the show with DC, it was so much fun. It was such a pleasure to do a show with my friend who just so happens to be one of the greatest fighters of all time, talk about the fights. And then on Wednesdays, we came to a spot where it was like, all right, we're going to do the Helwani show, but it'll be a little different. It won't be live, but you'll talk to two or three big names each and every week. That's great. I love that. A Tyron Woodley, a Dominic Reyes, an Anthony Smith, etc., and not have the burden of booking five, six, seven, or eight guests. So once you know the time came to make a decision, we decided that we would make DC and Helwani an official Monday show. That would be the new Monday show, if you will. And Wednesdays would be a one hour or so version of the Helwani show with interviews and 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 guests, pundits, etc., talking about the news and notes and, and big events of the week. And I actually really like this. And I remember talking to my old pal, New York Rick, at the very beginning of all of this and said to him, you know what? I can actually see a world where this is my, you know, this is my new normal. And he said, no way, no way. You're going to go back to wanting to book eight, nine guests. And I said, you know what? I don't think that's the case, but let's see. And I'm here to say 
I don't miss it at all. I feel like I've regained my love for MMA. I look forward to Mondays. I look forward to Wednesdays. And I think 11 years of doing something, um, you know, maybe there's a silver lining to this pandemic stuff and it's been a horribly depressing time. But, you know, this allowed me to take a, a hard look at what was going on and pivot to a new schedule. And so you may have seen um, on Sunday, I posted what my new schedule is like. Monday's DC and Helwani on YouTube and all the podcast platforms. Tuesday's DC and Helwani on ESPN2. We premiered uh, last night at midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific. Wednesday's this show on YouTube and all podcast platforms. Thursday's is the new day for Ariel and the Bad Guy on ESPN+. Plus. That's the new day. I know it was on Wednesdays for two years. Now it's on Thursday nights. Fridays, I host the ESPN MMA Snapchat show. And on pay-per-view fight weeks, I'll host the official weigh-in show on ESPN+. Plus. And also on pay-per-view fight weeks, this show, the Helwani show, will be on ESPN Radio. And Ariel and the Bad Guy will be a pre-show on YouTube and Twitter. And we'll also do a post-fight wrap-up. So that's a lot of stuff. I feel like it's a great schedule. You, you get me almost in some way, shape, or form every single day. And I am really excited about this. So uh, it is uh, the beginning of a new era. It's the end of one chapter. But uh, this was you know, something that I was very much on board with. And I wanted to kind of explain it to everyone as well and, and, and tell you how I feel about it. And, and with that in mind, and with it being the end of a chapter and the beginning of a new one, I thought it would only be fitting to ask my old pal, my old partner in crime, who's very busy these days. And I can't believe that he's carved out a few minutes for us because, you know, he's he's doing the TikTok and the Snapchat and the Instagram and the Twitter and all that stuff for ESPN. But he, he's been kind enough to give us a, a very tight 15, 20 minutes here. My old pal, New York Rick, back in the saddle to uh, to signal the dawn of a new era and to maybe say goodbye to an old era as well. New York, Rick, how are you? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? That's it. You have nothing to say about all that I just said. Um, no- I do. I do. I have a few. I have a few thoughts, but I, I wanted to start with the pleasantries. Uh, my first thought is uh, I want to say congratulations. I'm very happy um, for your success. I'm very happy um, that you're joining the rest of us and working um, five days a week now. Um, <laughs> it, I know it's a big change for you, but uh, congratulations on on coming into the real world and. Um, no, I'm very DC and Helwani, and I told you this at the at the advent of it, very very early on, um, that I think the chemistry that you two have is irreplaceable. Um, I think that show is destined for fantastic things, and I I will reserve judgment on whether this show gets any longer or you book any more guests until we're further down the line, because I I I just can't imagine a world uh, where you're not interviewing more people, but. Um, I'm happy. You didn't believe me, right? You, you, I didn't. I did not. I right. I was very skeptical that this would remain an hour for as long as it has already. Um, but well, there's still can, time. You could blame TST for that. It's uh, it's all his <laughs> doing. I try to push the envelope as much as possible, but I do enjoy maybe going a little longer. Like today with Woodley, we'll go a little longer than probably we would on a regular show. And yep. you know, you know, this is a bit of a different one because I wanted to have you on, but we'll have like you know two, maybe three, sometimes guests. And uh, I do like the idea of maybe featuring the biggest guests. Not to say that I was cluttering it, but I'll be honest, some weeks, you know, you have people just to kind of fill out the roster, so to speak. And that wasn't very enjoyable. And, and also, to be honest, I was getting tired of begging people. And, and it got to a point where people were asking me to come on the show. But you know what? I don't want to beg people to come on the show anymore. I don't want to have to, like, you know ruin my Sunday chasing these guys after big fights. A lot of guys don't want to talk on Monday. Maybe they want to talk on Wednesday. I just feel like I've been there, done that. We conquered that world. Um, 
I would say that other people tried to copy us and were not successful and realized that it wasn't as easy as maybe we made it seem to be. And I feel like, all right, now it's time for a new chapter. Now it's time for a new challenge. Amen. I will say, I feel like at a certain point, it became more your personal responsibility, you feeling like you owed it to people to do this versus um, something that um, was was your primary motivation at that point. And I'm, I'm very happy to see that you found um, a, a much nicer balance across every single day of the week. All, yeah. uh, all Helwani all day, every day. That's right. Balance is a great word. Balance is a great word. So it does... Uh, it does close that that chapter as far as the Monday show and all the guests and whatnot, but I'm very, very excited about this. And, uh, you know, we took it from AOL to SB Nation Vox to ESPN. We took that show to ESPN, that little show that started in a, in a closet, basically, at <laughs> AOL uh, and was supposed to be the first time I did that show. As I've said this story before, maybe not here, but I've said it before, they wanted me to be 15 minutes. That was the original plan. 15 minutes somewhere TST is getting all hot and, and heavy inside. He's getting aroused by this, this notion of a 15 minute podcast. But yes, that was the original plan. Fight House Radio was the original name for three episodes. Then we had to change it because it was a gym in New York called Fight House. So I changed it to the MMA hour. It went from 15 minutes to an hour and then to an hour and a half and then two hours, two and a half. And then I think the longest it ever was was six hours. Um, maybe a, a smidge before, but man, we had a great run and there was nothing better than, you know, Mondays live, you know, like remember when Habib came into the studio that Monday with all the 223 stuff going on with like Ferguson pulling out and Holloway, like it felt like the eyes of the MMA world were watching us. We were the show of record and DC and Hawani will be the same, but it's a different kind of show, obviously. But like to have guests like that come into the studio, that's what I wanted to be like the tonight show of MMA. And I feel very confident in saying that we did it. We did it for a long time. It was the best show of its kind ever. And now we move on to make DC and Helwani. And this show as well, it continues, but in a different kind of way, the best show of its kind. I dare say it was the only show of its kind. To be yes, honest. the only show of its kind. So, all right, um, a lot going on in the world of MMA. I feel good that I got that off my chest. Uh, I feel good that we were able to talk about all this. If you have any questions, and I'm sure people will hit me up, I'll answer them. But I, I feel like it's pretty clear now where we all stand. All right, let's talk some news and notes. Number one. Tuesday was a very busy day for the uh, the worldwide leader as far as mixed martial arts is concerned. As John Anik likes to say, the UFC uh, telling TMZ, um, well, they didn't tell TMZ, but let's be honest, we all know they told TMZ. Uh, uh, what did they tell them? Uh, Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal 2, Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns. Now, Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns, that will be December 12th. If that date sounds familiar, that will be the date of the Megan Anderson versus Amanda Nunes featherweight title fight, which... Um, could be the very last featherweight title fight in the women's division. And then they reported that Masvidal Diaz would be on the same day. But my conversations have all told me that, no, they want that to be in January. Masvidal Diaz too would be in January. No chance Masvidal Diaz are going to be the co-main event to those guys, especially that division. Like there's just no chance. There's a better chance of me becoming the president of ESPN tomorrow than that happening. Now, let me ask you this. I see a lot of people upset that they went with Masvidal Diaz. Maybe it's Edwards fans. Maybe it's people who feel like we've been there, done that. How do you feel about them going with Masvidal Diaz 2 for the next fight for both guys? I feel like this was the only fight to make. I mean, maybe not the only fight to make, but the, the options were limited. Um, I don't think you want to do Masvidal Edwards yet. It, I, I almost feel like you have to kind of save Masvidal Edwards when Masvidal doesn't have the juice that he has right now, um, if that time comes. Um and then that leaves you with, I don't think anybody thought that um, off that performance, you know, taking into account 
six days, I don't think anybody thought off that performance he was going to get an immediate rematch with Kamaru Usman. So that leaves really Nate. Um, Colby was out there, but now Colby's booked with Tyron Woodley. Um, Conor McGregor, if all of a sudden they changed their mind and decided to have a fight with him without a gate, there really was not a, a ton of options out there for, for Jorge Masvidal. And to me, this is the best one. This is the biggest one that's going to make the most money. Um, it's a no-brainer for both guys. Okay, so what about Leon Edwards? Because Leon Edwards, very upset. He has taken to Twitter, taken to social media. Um, part of me feels like it's a little too late, but like, let's be honest. He's tried. He's tried to get Masvidal's attention, and Masvidal just kind of ignores him. How do you feel about the UFC? Because, you know, he, he has... <laughs> we have a guy here in Leon Edwards, and I know people get tired of me talking about him, but he's won eight in a row. He hasn't fought since last July, and he is nowhere to be found in the welterweight picture. I'm not even talking about the title picture. I'm talking about the welterweight picture. He is not in any big fight. He has no fight book. He's not fighting Woodley. He's not fighting Cummington. He's not fighting Masvidal. He's not fighting Diaz. He's not fighting Gilbert Burns. He's not fighting Kamar Usman. How did this happen to Leon Edwards? Who is to blame here, in your opinion? I, I think it's their shared blame. And I don't know, even know if it's blame, to be honest. I think it's just circumstance. You know, realistically, like if we're going to take an honest account of Leon Edwards, he's not an exciting. Uh, talker on the mic. He's not somebody who's going to get support that way. In terms of fighting, he's dominant, but he's not going out there and just completely blitzing and annihilating people. Um, so it puts him in a tough position. We've seen guys on win streaks like this um, kind of, you know, sometimes not be the ones that that get the title shot um, in favor of somebody who's more exciting or or has the mic skills that that drive um, attention and, and praise from the fans. So um, he's in a tough spot. I will say this, you don't have to look that far back. There's there's examples in very recent history of a guy like let's talk, let's say Francis Ngannou who was lighting the world on fire, was, you know, putting together win streaks and just could not get booked and was, you know, rightfully um in line for a title shot, but it seemed like they were not willing to move in that direction. Now, um it seems like they are. So I think Leon Edwards' best bet is just to continue to rack up wins. Um, and he will inevitably get that title shot and he might not even need a win. He might just be next up. Is there a better option after Gilbert Burns? If Gilbert Burns wins, um, there might be new options. But if Kamaru Usman wins, is there a better option than Leon Edwards? I think he might be uh, next in line if he does just have the patience. Um, patience. He doesn't really have a, He's going to have to he, wait a year, and, like two years to fight again what, if he waits. What choice does he have? Okay, does there's one other choice? name. There's one other name out there, right? Because Gilbert and Kamaru are booked. Colby and Tyron, who are going to fight, by the way, in less than three weeks. So I guess he could wait for the winner of that fight. But what if they get banged up? The other name out there is Stephen Thompson, who's ranked sixth, um, You know, who's coming back from the injured hand. Uh, Leon is ranked third in the UFC's ranking. I, I don't hate that fight. And I actually kind of feel like Thompson might bring out an interesting fight in Leon Edwards, what do you think of that? That's the name that kind of came to mind when I thought, all right, how are we going to get this guy back in action? I like it on paper. And I think if Leon Edwards needs to to make some money um, in the interim and or wants to stay busy and not be on the shelf, um, it's a great fight. But what does it do from a, a rankings or from a, a moving toward the title shot perspective for Leon Edwards? It's a dangerous fight for nothing. Um, so make money. I think, well, that's the thing. He's in a He's in a position where he has to decide now, do I wait? And potentially cement my name as the next title challenger because I think we we can all admit whether you think Gilbert Burns deserved the title shot or not. Leon Edwards also is deserving of a title shot with the streak that he's on um, and the the caliber of competition he's faced at least recently. Um, do you wait or do you stay active 
And and a win over Stephen Thompson is significant in terms of uh, having a nice name on your resume, but I don't think it moves him any closer. I think he's in the exact same position he's in where they're reluctant to give him a title shot uh, because he's not going to draw that much attention. Ultimately, I think they should have gone with Leon versus Kamara Usman. Uh, I was outvoted. I feel like I'm the only person who advocated for that, and uh, <laughs> it turned into uh, a messy situation. So ultimately, I am relenting. Um, I'm not relenting on the stance. I'm just not going to go into it as much because I feel like I made my my points pretty clear. And I would have been okay with them going with Leon versus Jorge uh, because of the backstory. And I think that they would have sold it very well. You have that footage. They would replay it a million times. And I think you could really, you know, get the word out and, and make it an intriguing build. But I like the fact that Masvidal is saying, hey, I gave you my word, Nathan Diaz. I told you I would run it back. And if I'm not getting a title shot, I am running it back because you gave me the shot. We created the belt together. I like the fact that they're going to run it back and we'll get hopefully a conclusive ending to that fight. So I don't hate it as much as the negative Nancy's on, uh, on Twitter are, are hating it these days. Do you think the BMF title should be on the line? I feel like it's an obvious one. It, it just, it, it helped sell the fight. Why wouldn't you bring it back? And Diaz created it, let the guy fight for it. And maybe after this, you retire it. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it has to be on the line. I think it, it's a no-brainer. If if there had been some kind of buildup or or talk of the BMF title um, by Jorge Masvidal in in his lead up to the Usman fight, then I would have thought maybe it feels a little bit um, off. Um, but he did it. He kept that reserved, and I think you know you talking about him being a man of his word. He posted that uh, clip from Scarface on his on his uh, social media accounts, talking about you know what what you have in this life is your something and your word. Um, Jorge Masvidal is a man of his word, and I think uh, he will put the BMF title on the line against Nate Diaz, and I'm all for that. By the way, let's say Kamara Usman beats Gilbert Burns on December 12th, and let's say Jorge Masvidal beats Diaz, and let's say Leon, you know, fights Stephen Thompson and wins. Who gets the next title shot? I think Leon Edwards gets the next title shot. Really? You think he'll? I do. You think he'll leapfrog Jorge? I don't, yeah, but see, I don't see it that way because I don't think that Jorge put on a performance that people are going to forget um, against Kamaru Usman. Um, all due respect, all due credit to him for taking the fight when he did on six days notice. I don't think he did enough in that fight to make people believe that he's going to win. I don't think a rematch um, is something that people are going to get behind in a, in a big way there. I think he needs to do something more. Um, than beat Nate Diaz to make people believe again that he is uh, going to be a challenger for Kamaru Usman. Whereas Leon Edwards, I think, has the resume. I think Leon Edwards has the resume. And um, I know it's not a meritocracy. I know there's uh, a lot of uh, different factors involved. But I don't think what Masvidal is bringing to a rematch is the same as what he brought to the first fight with Kamaru Usman. Okay. Um, so that's December 12th. So basically, we're getting two title fights in November for the November pay-per-view, uh, the flyweight title fights both for the males and the females you got davidson figueredo against cody garbrandt which is fun and then of course valentina shevchenko against jennifer maya and then in december you're getting two other title fights to round out the pay-per-view calendar for 2020 what a bizarre year it has been with usman versus burns and nunez versus anderson and then hopefully they start the year much like they started this past year with a big non-title fight or if you want to consider the bmf title real uh to kick things off in january date tbd i was looking at the calendar it would have to be either i think the 2nd of january or the 16th of january because january 9th would be the first round of the nfl playoffs 
and you don't want to go up against those guys because they always have a Saturday night game. So we'll see what date they uh, they land on. But I wonder if they actually have fans in attendance by then because you know that they want to have fans for a big fight like that because it's expensive to book those guys. Now, let me ask you about something else that we talked about over this past week. And this just blew me away. I still can't believe you said it. You told me as we were talking about this Brock Lesnar saga. And once again, here we are, Brock Lesnar flirting with MMA. Doesn't even have to do anything. Doesn't have to do an interview. But we find out he's a free agent from WWE. And now the speculation starts. Will he come back to the UFC? Will he go to another MMA organization like Bellator? Will he go to AEW? And you told me, and don't try to backtrack here, you said that a Brock Lesnar versus John Jones pay-per-view would do four to five times more than a Conor McGregor pay-per-view. True or false? You said this, right? No, I did not. You did say it. I have I the text. I have the text. I'm going to find it. What did you say? I said it would do 10 times more. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, that is um, a joke, right? No, uh, I, I may have uh, – there may be some hyperbole involved. But I and and by the way, my point of comparison, I didn't say like versus Connor. I threw out a number. You said this is what Connor did, and then you you drew the comparison yourself, which is fair enough. Um, facts are facts. Uh, but my point is to say that I think Brock Lesnar versus uh, John Jones is one of the biggest fights that UFC can make. Um, on at least on par, if not bigger than a Conor McGregor fight. I think with that the right opponent, insane. obviously. That is absolutely. I don't even think he draws a million pay per views. How about that? Wow. You really don't think that there's enough, there's still enough juice in Brock Lesnar's name that if he was paired with the greatest light heavyweight, possibly greatest uh, fighter of all time, that they could draw a million pay-per-views. Let me ask you this. You're the social media master. Do you look at those numbers? When you post things about Brock Lesnar? Yeah, of course. I look at all the numbers. Okay. Do you look at the comments and do you look at the engagement? People don't care. People are over Brock. He was given away for free for the last few years. It is no longer special. I don't think they liked how he came back. I don't think they liked the aftermath of his return back in 2016. Am I saying that a John Jones versus Brock Lesnar fight would be fun, would be a spectacle? Yeah, sure. I'm not going to like boycott it, but I don't think it's as big as people like you think it is. So I will say engagement, uh, social engagement is not a one-to-one indicator of uh, star power. there are examples of this, but I don't want to go too deep into it, but the, it is not a one-to-one engagement. I will say the engagement on John Jones versus Brock Lesnar stuff is through the roof, is high. People are interested in the story of that, the spectacle of that. Now, there's still a lot of heavy lifting you have to do to get them to believe that that's a fight they want to watch and to buy it and to um, you know, convert that that excitement into into actual purchases uh but i believe that that could be a massive fight much more so than you do now certainly i don't think um i don't think it will do multipliers of a conor mcgregor fight conor mcgregor is still the biggest star in all of combat sports um all of pay-per-view purchasing uh now that mayweather is actually retired and i'm not sure conor mcgregor is um but i do believe it will be up there mcgregor versus the winner of habib gaethje or Jones. Well, McGregor versus Habib is the biggest thing you can do in in okay. fighting right now. All right, let's say Gaethje beats him. McGregor versus I don't, Gaethje. I don't think that that is leaps and bounds ahead of Brock versus what? Jones. You are insane. Are you I think serious? that Brock versus Jones can get close. That is. No, I, I think I, that Brock. I, I think you are Jones underselling how big of a draw Connor is and how big of a draw Gaethje would be if he's the first man to beat Habib. I don't even think it's in the same atmosphere. To be honest, why? Wh- what is your reluctance to? I don't to get think, on board with Brock and Jones. Like, what is the what? What do you think? And let me be ver- let me be very Tell, clear. Let me be very clear. 
I said on Monday to DC that there should only be one fight. No, let me take it back. I said on Monday that John Jones should not fight until he fights for the heavyweight title. So basically, they should keep him on ice, have Stipe fight Francis, and then the winner fights John Jones because if he slips, yeah. if he loses, you lose that big fight. However, the one fight I would consider is the Brock fight. So, so I'm telling you, I'm not against the fight. I'm telling you that I'm not going to be mad if they book it. All I'm saying is it's not as big as you think what, it is. What do you think it's missing? What is missing from Brock that? Lesnar isn't as big of a deal. The allure is gone. He's not the indestructible force that people uh, once considered him to be. He's 43. He hasn't fought in four years. He's been on free TV or you know their their platform, which you know the allure is just gone. It's not as big of a deal. I think the allure of John Jones has gone down a little bit because he seems a lot more human in his last couple fights. It would be fun. Jones going up to heavyweight, cool, all that. Like again. I'm not against the fight. I just don't think it's as big of a deal. Like, I don't think this is the earth-shattering big news. And by the way, he hasn't said anything. Like, I know Dana said he's yeah. interested in all that. But let's just play along and say that this is the fight that they make. Sure. It's it's a big deal. Is it bigger than uh, Masvidal Diaz 2? Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know if it's bigger I than I mean, Mas- that's not big. That's big. Okay, but I don't know. I was going to say, I don't know if it's bigger than Masvidal Usman was. I mean, there's a lot of different circumstances there. I, I would have to say it, it probably... It's I not bigger than any Habib or Connor fight. No, no, no. It is. Uh, you said you told me it was like four separately, times separately, separately. Um, Habib Connor together is is never going to be nothing's going to touch that. Habib Connor separately. Okay, here's a good point of comparison. Do you think it will be bigger than Habib versus Justin? Um. Okay, that's a good question. Um. Gosh. That's and and I will. One. I will. I will point to the fact that you're you're kind of talking a little bit about competitiveness, which I don't think matters at all. I think no, people I'm talking are about draws. In... I'm talking about draws. Okay, but you also talked about Brock is 43. Brock could be 63 as long as he looks like he looks and acts yeah. like he acts. He can walk in there and, and sell a fight. Um, John Jones versus Brock Lesnar, I think, has a good mix oh. of the juice. It's just so ridiculous enough. <laughs> it's enough that it's enough that when you said there's nobody on this planet that John Jones should face, one guy popped out of nowhere. He came out of the trees. He descended like, like a like a ghost uh, out of the mist and said, "Here I am." Or somebody said, "Here I am" for him. And you said, "You know what? That that interests me." And because I think there's so enough ridiculous. people out there. I think there's enough people out there that would just be interested in the spectacle of. The, consider the, the the story here. You have the most legitimate fighter on the planet. Okay, let let, let me reframe that. You right. have what what many p- consider the most dominant and and best one of the best fighters on the planet, if not the best fighter on the planet, um, with a resume that's unassailable uh, from who he's faced competition wise. Deciding potentially deciding. I'm going to take on this guy who's vacillated between wrestling and uh, MMA for years, is 43 years old uh, and looks like an action figure and just decides that he's going to come back. Um, pitting those two together is just fantastic theater. I can't imagine that there is not a, a, an audience for this. I just can't imagine. And and it's so ridiculous to the point where nobody – Brock has not even said a word and Dana yes. White is having to field questions about this. There is there is something here. There is interest here that I think would drive past the standard UFC title fight. Okay. I, I, to answer your question, it would be bigger than Gaethje Habib. There you um, go. But not bigger than Connor. Not bigger than Connor versus yeah, that's, And I'm saying that's Connor where, versus I mean, anyone. Maybe that's where I might have pushed it a little bit. Connor, okay. Con, listen, Connor is still the bread, as he told you. Yes. Um, that has not changed. But I think it could get as close as you can get without being Connor. 
Okay, last question for you. Is the only fight for you know, I did this uh this YouTube hit with Brett on um on Tuesday afternoon, and I think he spoke for a lot of people in saying that the only fight I want to see Brock Lesnar come back to, as far as MMA is concerned, is John Jones. I said the John Jones fight or the Fedor fight. I I, I would be down to see the Fedor fight. Am I crazy? Because I saw a lot of I people be, saying no way Fedor. Yeah, no, I would be down for the Fedor fight. I think those are the two um, that I'd be interested in just because of the spectacle of John Jones and Fedor just because it was something that had been flirted with for, for so long and, and you know, t- to come to completion on it would be nice. But I just don't see the... I don't see the the justification for Brock versus Fedor. It doesn't feel like a fight that Brock needs to come back for. Like, I don't think there's any unfinished business with Fedor. I don't think it's a situation where they were particularly adversarial. I don't think that, like, I'd almost, and maybe I'm crazy here, I'd almost rather see Frank Mir versus Brock Lesnar at this point because there's at least something there. Brock versus Fedor just feels like trotting out guys. But it just feels like trotting out guys who have a name to pit versus each other. And this is something that Bellator does quite often that I'm not particularly a fan of. Just trotting out names to trot out names. I don't know that there's anything I'm interested in in that fight. There's not not the same level of spectacle that you have with John Jones because they're both kind of uh, past their shelf date. Um, And I don't think that that's like a particularly compelling fight matchup. Um, It just doesn't feel like the juice is worth the squeeze there for either for Fedor, probably he needs he needs opponents. He needs somebody that's going to make him, you know, uh, some money. For Brock, I don't know if he needs to come back for that. Like I would just stick in WWE if I was Brock. Now, John Jones. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. I will end on this. I will say that we have seen this song and dance from Brock before, where he flirts with <laughs> yeah. us. He's the ultimate businessman. He knows how to use his leverage the right way. Remember when he showed up, I remember seeing him Memorial day weekend, a few years back, I saw him at the Vegas airport the next day at like 4 AM. Um, I, I remember at Staples center when he showed up, I think that was the Rousey versus Katzengano card right before Tony Ferguson was about to walk through. And I love Ferguson telling John that he's going to uh, help uh, Brock prepare for this fight. If it ever happens. So we've seen this before and there are other instances as well the the dc situation of uh two years ago i will say this i don't feel like this is just some kind of game because if it was some kind of game dana white would not want to be leveraged and the fact that he didn't say at the press conference on tuesday night oh there's no chance he's retired the fact that he said hey i'm open to it or i'll talk to him i haven't talked to him but if they want it the fact that he didn't just shoot it down makes me feel like there is smoke to this fire do they ultimately make it happen? I don't know, but it makes me feel like it's a lot real than maybe we thought two days ago. Can you just refresh my memory? Wasn't the the the, the fight with Mark Hunt, the UFC 200, wasn't there kind of a situation where it was understood like he was going to do this fight, but he was going to be in wrestling? Like, yeah. I think there's kind of a, a different nature to the Brock Lesnar game in the sense that like he could do a fight and still potentially return to wrestling without oh, yeah, any... Yeah. Remember, like a year and a half ago, he showed up with a UFC t-shirt and a picture with Dana White. And we thought that this was going to be the beginning of his uh, return. Now, the USADA stuff is a little funky. Does he have to like re-enter the pool and they could only do it in six months and all that stuff when it comes to Brock? But Dana's comments yesterday where he essentially said, if they want it, I'll look into it and not no chance he's retired or he's a WWE guy or the ship has sailed makes me think that there's a lot more to it than then meets the eye. So we'll see. Interesting times as always. Uh, by the way, speaking of Brock, uh, Alistair Overeem back this weekend against Augusto Sakai, a guy who knows about Brock Lesnar very much. So he beat him back at UFC 141, December of 2011, way back when 
uh, when we were all just babies in this game. New York Rick, thank you very much for the time. It's great to have you back on the show. And and maybe in, I don't know, eight, nine months when you know the schedule slows down for you, you can grace us with your presence again. Uh, welcome to the working world, Ariel Hawani. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. There's New York Rick, everyone. Coming up in a matter of moments, we will talk to Tyron Woodley, the former uh, welterweight champion of the UFC. He has a massive fight, a fight that's two years, two and a half years in the making against his bitter rival, Colby Covington. That goes down on September 19th. September 12th, by the way, the main event is Glover Teixeira uh, going up against Tiago Santos. And then September 19th is Woodley versus Covington. September 26th is Israel Desanya versus Paulo Costas. We have a fun September coming up, but... This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. And now it is a pleasure again to be joined by the one and only Tyron Woodley, who returns to action on September 19th against Colby Covington, a highly anticipated main event that we have been talking about for what feels like two, three years at this point, but it is finally going down in less than three weeks time. This is very exciting stuff. First off, Tyron, thank you so much for the time. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm feeling good. Just came from training. So, man, I'm ready. I'm geared up and um, ready to roll. If I would have told you back in uh, early June, you know, that was the last time we spoke as you fought May 30th and then we spoke a couple of days later. So that was early June. If I would have told you that you'd be back this soon, would you have believed me? I would have been, I would have been hopeful. So, you know, I, I said earlier, I wanted to stay active and um, I wanted to fight three times this year. And I, I knew fighting in March against Leon would have put me on pace, but fighting in May, and especially after, you know, I had a little ding in my leg going into the fight, and then Gilbert located that spot, I didn't know how long I was going to be out from it. So I'm just blessed and thankful that, you know, I didn't have any breaks or any fractures or any um, ligament tears that I was able to just to kind of rehab it and now I'm ready to roll. So how long did it take for you to feel like you were 100% again after the fight? Um, after the fight, probably, probably two months. Two, not not quite two months. Um, maybe like six weeks. Have you rewatched the fight yet? Yeah, I did. That's the fight I did rewatch. You know, what I mean, when when I watched the fight, it was just um, the first, the beginning just kind of started off crazy. It was like I'm like, oh, what the fuck is going on? We got all over the fucking place. You know what I mean? And um, end up on the canvas, got hit with a nice little elbow, and then I start, all right, you know, take a deep breath. You know, I knew my my heart rate is awkwardly low, like between 33 and 37 when I'm in crazy shape. A lot of people don't believe it, 
But unfortunately, I've had a lot of surgeries. And when I go to have surgery, a part of the process is for them to take your heart rate and do your vitals. And I have like a bed full of nurses that all flood in there to look because they can't believe my heart rate so low. So I know that I'm not going to gush out and bleed like crazy. I started bleeding a lot in the beginning, but I knew it would kind of calm down. And it did. So I was just constantly trying to get in the rhythm. And I threw a big, crazy shot. And he got underneath it. And then from that point, he started striking the leg. And then I fell fourth and fifth round. I was just kind of seeing the shots, but I wasn't really taking the shots. It was like I saw him, but I was hesitating. I didn't really feel like I was close enough to get him. So I look back and I just I just take the positive from it. Positive from it is that there was no point in the fight where I was going to quit. And I was going to let him knock me out. I was going to, you know what I mean? I felt cardio-wise I was great. I felt like I hadn't fallen in over a year, but I still felt like I was in there. And I felt felt good to be consciously in there the fight before as i talked about you know i didn't feel like i was there i felt like i was in law and i was in space so i put together a good camp so i'm not i didn't change a lot of things i didn't change camps i didn't change coaches i didn't reinvent the wheel i just took what i did against him and i'm i did that same thing in camp and i added more things to it so i just expounded upon the camp and i feel good so there was some talk of this fight uh headlining the august 22nd card and he posted a picture. UFC said they were looking to do it that date. Why didn't it ultimately end up on August 22nd? Yeah, I mean, that, that was in a favor of him. And that was in a favor of the UFC need to fill that card. It wasn't in a favor of me. I wasn't quite healed yet. I wasn't quite ready to get back in camp yet. You know, um, I didn't have like a, just a rinky-dink freaking injury. I had like a contusion. My leg was completely exploded, like freaking my skin was cracking. It was so tight with so much pressure from the, from the blood. So I had to take some time to get that ready. And this is a fight that, that I want to win, that I want to do well in. I want the proper time to get ready. So I don't care if he wanted me to fight on August 22nd. He was supposed to fight me in September of 2018. So this is two years later. So at the end of the day, he ain't in the driver's seat. He lost just like I lost. And what did he do? Lose better? You fucking lost. So at the end of the day, for me, um, I wasn't finna do something that benefited him. I was going to do something that put us on even playing field. And that, that was a later date. It was originally the 26th and they had to do something with um, out of sign your fight. So they called me and asked me if I would switch. And I said, okay, if y'all want me to switch, it's done. Okay. Um, you, you talked about two years, you know, this has been quite the saga. Is there a part of you that feels like I'll only believe that this fight is going to happen the moment we're both in the cage staring at each other. Do, do you feel like it's actually real at this point? No, it's real. He's scared. He isn't talking. Like, like, think about this. This is the one of the highest anticipated fights. It was one of the last fights to be announced. Um, you see all these other fights that aren't even main events that were announced. Um, there's been really hardly any media behind the fight, any promotion. You got two guys that can't fucking stand each other, and we have heard nothing about it. So what I'm doing is... I'm taking it in stride. I'm taking it to focus, to lock in on a fight, lock in on a training, and not to have to deal with all the BS. So it's a blessing in disguise for me, but he's very quiet right now. You know, he's not talking as much as he normally is. And if he is, I'm not listening to it. I haven't, I haven't heard it, but he's focusing in training because now he remember what it's like to be in there with me. He remember what it's like to train with me. And you can only fake the media out so much. Now he has to train. He's in a different camp under different circumstances and he got to live up to all the stuff he's been talking. So now he's in her training hard. And I like that because I'm in her training hard. What, if anything, have you heard about this new camp? Cause this is the big story going in for him. He left ATT. He's now part he of his own team. Out of ATT. 
Okay. Yeah. Didn't leave anywhere. He got kicked out. Do you know and, who's uh, around him? Do you know where he's training? I mean, he's he's training at MMA Masters, from what I understand, and that's a camp that's always been a competitor of ATT. So they probably jumped up on the opportunity. They used to have Amanda Nunez before she brightened up and jumped to ATT. And, um, you know, they, they've always want to show that they're equals to ATT. So they're going to try to train them and have them prepare, but it could be overkill. Sometimes, sometimes you overdo it and you come in there dinged up, you come in there banged up a little bit. And I don't know their regiment. Um, it's a good camp, but at the end of the day, he's always been a selfish motherfucker. He always do what he wanted to do anyway. He's always been about him. So no matter where he's go, where he goes, are, it's going to kind of be the same thing. He's going to kind of fight the same way. Like he's never shown us anything different. You know what I mean? He's been the same fighter every time. And um, it's been, it's been enough to, to put him in position so we can square off. Uh, you mentioned you didn't make any drastic changes um, coming off the last fight as far as your training camp is concerned any additions any new wrinkles any new faces for this particular fight yeah you know i start i started with the cardio killer so i got my physician actually my md um he's been my doctor for a long time for like the cardinals the blues and rams when they were here but he is a triath triathlete so he's extremely competitive and he's been begging me to run with him like for the last four or five years and i'm like dude i ain't running with you you fucking probably run like six minute miles and then one day he asked me, probably assuming I would say no. And I said, all right, I'll see you Monday. And then Monday ended up to Tuesday. Tuesday, we, he said, Tuesday, we biking. I said, all right, well, shit, where can I go get a bike? So I left there Monday, right from the run. I went to go buy this $2,000 bike that clamped my fucking feet in with this snazzy little helmet and some, you know, some, some padded shorts for my big ass butt that, that kills on the seat. So I did that. And the next day I was on a bike. And then from then he wanted to run again. And then he wanted to run six miles and then he wanted to do another bike ride. So at six o'clock in the morning, I've dedicated that to, to this group of guys, bankers, you know what I mean? People that aren't MMA people, they just want to see me win. They want to push me and they want to get me to the next level. So that's what I do at 6 a.m. nearly every day. Um, also, training wise, I had Gerald Harris come in, um, who basically kind of mimicked the style, taking a lot of shots, taking a lot of attempts, um, a lot of pressure. And just, you know, he's really good at mimicking. He's really good at, at knowing what guys do and can stand character. Because sometimes, like, I'm really heavy-handed. Like, I don't even – sometimes I don't try to hit hard. Like, every time I've knocked somebody out, I've never hit somebody as hard as I can, ever. Not, not one time in my entire life I've ever looked at a motherfucker and like, ah, bah, and like, let me knock you out. It's just the, the, that I'm heavy-handed when I got good time and I see really well. So he, he – um, he came out. He was a blessing. I got a guy named Matt Hawley. He's a couple of time national champion wrestler who's hell on wheels. I mean, it's, it's impossible to deal with him. And I know the one person that you really, really, really want to know about. Um, everybody's seen Jorge Masvidal randomly in St. Louis. And then all of a sudden they seen a gym with significant red turf that really looks similar to the Tyrant's gym. Now what's going on? These guys are in the same way. These guys could fight. These guys are teammates. He knocked out Ben, who was Tyra's friend. He used to be Kobe's friend. He don't like Kobe anymore. He fought Usman. You know what I mean? Da, da, da. Is they, are they training together? Yeah, we are training together. You know, Masvidal hit me up. And what people don't know is that, one, I'm solid. I'm 100% through and through. So before Masvidal even came here, I called Ben. I said, Ben, I'm going to train with yours for this fight. Um, he's asked me to... He want to come out. He want to help me. He want to work with me. And it benefits him as much as it benefits me, to be honest. And I'm not going to I'm not going to turn down this deal. I don't know how you feel about it. Um, 
but I can't make his enemy my enemy. And Ben don't really, you hear Ben talk about it. Ben's really not like, he's not an enemy to him. He did what he needed to do to build a fight. It happened the way it happened. Shit happens. You get fucked up, you get knocked out. We all, we all had it. And if you haven't had it happen to you, unless you could be, you're going to have it happen to you. So I started training with him and he came out. He had such a good time. He said, you know what? I'm going to go home for a day or two and I'm coming back out. And he came back out and we just iron sharpening iron. But what people don't know about me and Jars, I've trained with Jars five years straight before. Like when I first joined ATT and he was at ATT, you know, we trained hell on wheels. Me, him, Tiago Alves, Eve Edwards, Luigi Fiorvanti, Chandler. That's all we had. It was our group. And that's what we trained with every day. We helped each other. And then it wasn't that he went up a weight class. I just started going to different camps and getting what I needed. I started going to wildcard boxing and getting a box. And I started to go to Muay Thai Academy and train with Edmund Bibasso to get my Muay Thai. Then I started, you know, bouncing around to camps that gave me what I need for that opponent. Rufus sport, whatever, whatever it was. But I've always been American top team and I've always supported yours. If you go back and look at the last two or three years, You'll see me giving George's credit and being happy for him genuinely that he's finally making the money. So when he when he did that and reached out, I said, hell yeah, let's get it in. And he's holding me accountable. He was like, man, you can't do that. You got to move this. No, come on. We got to work tonight. We're doing this. We're doing that. Let's go get in the sauna. How much you weigh? So it's, it's really solid that you got two dudes kind of from the same. We both came from the gutter when you really think about it. And we both found a way to stick with it. And we've had a long career because of our IQ and because of we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations in training so that we can thrive in the octagon. And I want to see him do well. I want to see him, you know, continue to make the money and do what he want to do. And he want to see me back on top. But, you know, we've had several conversations even before this happened. You know, Tyron, get your shit straight, man. My head was fucked up and I cleared it up. Now look what happened. Till, Ben, da-da-da. I went on a run. You got to do the same thing. And he kind of gave me the motivation and accountability, because I didn't want to let him down. He hit me up personally, you know, about a year and a half ago and told me it was some toxic things in my life that I needed to erase. And I've erased those things. And now I can breathe. Now I can float. Now I'm back. And it feels good. And I really got to thank him for that. Wow. That is cool. That, I mean, what a story. Uh, considering yeah. all the, the aspects. In total, how long are you guys going to be together for this camp? About three weeks. Okay. Um, you know, I, I can't help but, but ask, you know, this fight has been in the works for so long, but this is a really different time that we're living in now, right? It's a very yeah. tense time and we have an election coming up and we know how he feels about the president and we know how Does he, he do we? <laughs> yes. And, uh, you I know, we see also, his ballot. I don't think he even voted for Trump. You know? Well, you know, we know about everything else that's going on. Um, yeah. all the, the racial unrest, if we want to put it that way in this country, yeah. we've talked about it before. In, in a way, it's crazy that this fight is happening now, right? Do you yeah. feel like this represents a lot more? Like when, when you're going in there, do you feel like you're fighting for a lot more? Do you feel like you're, you're bringing a lot of people on your back? Considering it's happening right now, does it up the stakes in your mind? Or maybe that's it, not fair to do that to you. I don't know. It's not fair to do that to me. And I, and I, and I voice that. Like right now, I got a lot of people. Oh, you got to kick his ass. He's so annoying. You got to break his jaw. You got to do this. You got to do this. So what you're telling me is that before the election year, before he was so pro-Trump, before he was doing things that could be seen racist to Brazil or all these different places or saying things that are just completely outlandish, before then, it was okay that I fucking let him beat me. But now, since then, now I have to beat him for you. And I have to beat him for the culture. And I have to beat him for people that don't like Trump. And I have to beat him because he's annoying you. 
no, motherfucker, I got to beat him because I'm the best. And he's just the next in line. I got to beat everybody. And I got to go out there and compete to the level that I'm capable because that's what God created me for. I can't go out there and underachieve again. I can't go out there and watch pain try. I can't let people that are not on my level exist or actually say, fuck it, Tyron ain't going to come with what I thought he was going to come with. Well, let me go after him. And that's what you saw Usman do. And that's what you saw, you know, um, Gilbert Burns do. Like a lot of these fighters saw me and they didn't really think they can beat me at one point in time. Then all of a sudden I had a close fight or I lost a fight. Now all of a sudden now they want to fight me. Now my name is everybody's mouth. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, I feel like if I focus on getting what's in me out every fight, it's going to be an indirect for if you want to see this dude get his ass whooped, well, there you go. Merry Christmas. If you don't believe in what he stands for, boom, now that's going to be solved. But if I focus on one thing, getting the best tyrant out there, I'm going to solve all those problems. Do I feel like this is for the culture? For sure. And it's not so much that he's, I don't even believe he voted for Trump. I don't even believe he's a true Trump supporter. And what fighter in their right mind makes their whole gimmick, their whole trying to be the heel based upon politics? What if he loses the election? What are you going to do your whole career on? What are you going to do now? You know what I mean? You, you kind of like limited yourself. And when you think about it this way, what does it have to do with fighting? Nothing. You can vote for whoever the hell you want to vote for. That's on you. You know what I mean? Just make sure you vote. So at the end of the day, he is doing things to get on any people's skin. He's trying so bad to be the heel. And it's not even received that well. For the amount of energy he puts, the amount of paid freaking Instagram models he try to put around him, he should have a million followers. He don't. So it's not even working. So he's failing at trying to be the heel. How do you fail at being the bad guy? You know what I mean? So when, when I look at it, I can't focus my attention on that because it's not going to motivate me. It's not going to pump me up. It's not going to make me want to do anything. It's going to annoy me or it's going to make me fight outside of a game plan and just go out there and just try to fuck them up. You know what I mean? I think there's a way I can fuck them up, but within a game plan, within strategy, making a miss, making a pay, stopping the shot, making a pay, putting pressure on them, punching them in the face, standing there, bullying them. I think those things are going to make him jump on legs from way far out, swing wide shots, and then he's going to crumble. He's a, he's a quitter. Like when you really look at him, when you saw him getting hit in the body by Usman, you see him, um, Willie Alves put an arm around his neck. He just has not been in a position many times to quit. But in his mind, he's not a guy that's in a gym training hard. He has a great gas tank. And most of it is natural. Most of it is the way he's building. It's not because he's training so hard. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, I don't take on that additional pressure. I don't. You know what I mean? I love my coach. I love, I stand, you know, I stand 10 toes down on what I believe. And I don't give a fuck who you are. You're not going to make me if I miss out on millions because of it, I'm going to stand my ground on what I believe in. And I fight for what I believe in, but I'm not going to fight to negate what he's doing because he don't even believe in it. Like he is the epitome of what's wrong with our culture right now. We got people that are watching other people on social media and they want their lifestyles or they're doing this because they think it's cool. I'm going to wear a suit because Conor McGregor wore I'm going to talk shit about my opponent because that's what I think we're supposed to do. I do what I do because it's me. And that's what I feel is I'm my own filter. I don't need somebody else to show me what to do. And he's creating controversy. He's creating things. So that's almost worse than somebody that truly is racist, somebody that truly hates people from Brazil. He's creating something that's not even him. That's 10 times worse than someone that just really feels that way. You know what I mean?
How is it for you, um, you know, in sports and especially in fighting, people want to be very quick to say this guy's shot, this guy's over the hill, right? Tyron Woodley, who not that long ago was the welterweight champion. Now everyone's saying two in a row. I don't want to say bored everyone. me. Yeah, bored me. Yeah, didn't, yeah, didn't, yeah, didn't motivate me. Yeah, I was the top dude. There wasn't no Carlos Condens left. There was no Ro- Robbie Lawless left. It was no George St. Pierre on my side. It was no Michael Bisming in my side. It was no Conor McGregor fight on the table. It was no Nick or Nate Diaz. I, I mentor Kamar Usman. I'll show you the text messages. Hey, how did it feel when you got the belt? And da 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 da. Same thing with fucking Kobe. Who should I fight next? And can you help me with my media kit? These guys were mentored by me. You know what I mean? They should thank me. So at the end of the day, my 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 name is engrossed into their legacy. Kamar Usman has no legacy without me. Kobe Covington built his whole mouth. 2016, 17, I was 99% of his social media posts, right? Everything was Ty Quill or whatever the heck. He built his whole name off of me, and he finally got a fight against Damian Maya on Fox. Before then, where was he at? Fight pass. Fight pass in Asia. Think about that. So I don't need them for a legacy. I don't need anybody for a legacy. My legacy is going out there and showing people about actions, putting these forearms gloves upside your motherfucking head and showing you that I'm the best. I punch the hardest. So I'm not over the hill. I'm really just getting started because as I said before, what I've added, I never did a 6 a.m. cardio. So I'm adding. Mm-hmm. I never put myself in uncomfortable situations where I'm outputting so much volume in these five rounds and I'm tired. I'm doing short conditioning right after it. And I'm going to sleep and getting a massage. I haven't had a day off in 30 plus days. I haven't had one day off. So if people think I'm over the hill, I like that. I like that you think that. And I hope Kobe thinks that. What, what do you make of Leon Edwards? Can't get a fight. Has won all these fights in a row. Uh, seems like the, the odd man out. Um, you talk about people who ask you for advice. Like if he would ask you for advice, like how do I get in the mix here? What is he doing wrong in your opinion? Do, we, Why do what he, he was doing mix? before he started talking. He was just fighting and winning. That doesn't suit him well. You know what I mean? And he, he used to be a fan of mine. He said, I watched our fights. He was a great champion. And then because he couldn't get the fights, he tried to be with everybody else. Didn't he start trying to talk stuff? One, I'm the jokester anyway. Don't try to talk stuff against me. You're going you're gonna to get made fun of. You're going to look stupid. Two, you can't talk stuff after Masvidal then piece you up in the back. Like in the hood, you, you got to be muted. You're on punishment until you see you dignify that. So if I'm Leon Edwards, fight, win. That's it. Don't talk because you're not good at it. And you don't need to. Let your work speak for itself. He's a great fighter. He makes adjustments. You know what I mean? He's a long striker. He's hard to keep down on the ground. And he'll even try to take a wrestler down. You don't have to do anything else because guess what? You're not making pay-per-view. You're not. So what are you talking for? Go out there and fight. Fight. It's, a, it's some other odd man. Um, uh, what's the dude named? Um, Black Kid. Power Puncher. Fall, fall, um, Platinum Perry. The welterweight division? Oh, Jeff Neal. Yeah. yeah, I like him. Yeah. Fight he's, him. Battling, he's battling some health issues right now. Oh, he is? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a guy. If you can beat him, yeah, yeah. That, that dude's a deal to me, in my opinion. I hear you. I mean, he, he's a um, dark horse of the division. Yep, I, I I don't disagree. By the way, I'm just curious. Um, just a couple more things. Uh, they announced on Tuesday two guys that you know very well: Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns are going to fight on December 12th. Who do you like okay. in that fight? It's tough to say, you know, because I don't know what happened in the gym. What happened in the gym with them is a big factor. Sometimes you you train with somebody in the gym. 
and they never get over that big brother syndrome and they're not going to do it in the octagon. So if, if Gilbert is um, in a position where he was kind of going after Kamaru and he was doing his thing in the gym, then maybe he got a good chance. You got to practice? All right. TJ. Is that your I'm son, by the way? That's my son. I want to give him some props because he, we ain't got a chance to talk about it. Okay, so go today, ahead. I look at his social media posts and I see Princeton, then I see Columbia, Ivy League, and then I see University of Pennsylvania. And I'm like, oh, you like those schools? He said, no, those schools contacted me today. So I want to take my hat off to my son, a 17-year-old wow. savage, 4.0 GPA in a private school, complete beast, my actual training partner. He can lift the same as me. He's stronger in certain areas, but he's so focused and he's so dedicated. And I literally almost start crying in the car when your son is getting recruited from Princeton and Columbia and Pennsylvania and schools like that, Ivy League schools, because he had beast on the field, but he also academically sound. He also has mad discipline. He's also competitive and he also pushes himself. That's what life's about. Fuck wow. these UFC belts, man. I got four of them right here. And it don't make me any bigger of a man. But when my son is showing me that I'm doing the right thing as a parent, he's learning from my mistakes, and he's also pushing himself. He's more competitive than I am. That shit moves me. That's that's what I do this for. And Kobe don't have that. He don't have the same why I have. Like, I'll, I will fuck you up over my kids. So if I mentally get there and think about that, that's a dangerous person to fight for. And now I'm thinking about I got to finish my career the way I start the way I saw it in the beginning, the way I saw the end in the beginning is how I have to finish it. And I, it wasn't losing the fucking Usman and Gilbert. That wasn't mm. dude ain't fucking Marty and Gilbert. That was not the fucking, that was not the way my career ended. I didn't fucking beat the natural born killer, the gorilla, a ruthless motherfucker. You know what I mean? And then I lose to Gilbert and Marty. That's not what God showed me. So by him seeing me not giving up, by him seeing me bounce back, by him seeing me push forward and go back out there and get what's mine, that's going to show him he can do anything. You know what I mean? And he goes out there on the field, he thinks he can do anything. And that, that shit, that's what moves me, not, not this. I'm happy you shouted him out because I've been blown away seeing the, the photos of you two together. That is a big boy. I mean, I feel like he yeah. grew up uh, incredibly over the last like two, three years. So football is his path right now, it seems like. But would you, if he said to you, I want to be a fighter like you, what would you say? I would say, yeah, you know, to be honest. Has he I said that? No, you know, he don't, he don't know yet. But I, I told him, diversify your portfolio. Football is your focus. Football was my focus. I thought I was going to go play Division One football. But my coach thought I would be too small. I mean, if you look at me, I'm built like a D-back and a running back now. I could have played football. I could have played pro ball. But at the end of the day, I, I, didn't get the, I didn't get the attention from my coach to get me recruited the same way. So what I did was I focused on wrestling. I had a backup plan. You know what I mean? So he wrestles. He's a very competitive wrestler. He's getting recruited in that as well. He's a football player. He he punches like a Mack truck. So boxing-wise, he picks up real quick. He got a good IQ. He punches super hard. And I told him he should think about baseball because the way he's built and how he turns his hip over when he throws right hand and his IQ. And he he's very agile. He has excellent footwork for some kid that went from 230. He was 230 his freshman year, starting on varsity. He went all the way down to 195 and even been in the 80s. And that was on him. I was in training camp. I was in Thailand and he committed to that. And then he was a part of a state championship team that went undefeated, that ranked 12th in the country right now because of his work ethic. And he's one of the leaders on the team. So he may want to fight. 
And if he wants to do that, I'm going to support it. But I'm not going to force him to wrestle. I'm not going to force him to play football. I'm not going to force him to box. Whatever he wants to do, when he got the energy, I'm going to match that energy. Mm. Um, last question for you. And again, thank you as always for the time. I know you want to eat over there. Um, you have been always very socially conscious. I remember when you walked out to glory, you've talked many times about what you've been through in Ferguson growing up over there. When you saw last week, what happened in the world of sports, um, starting with the Milwaukee bucks and then throughout the other leagues and everything that the NBA players in particular have been saying over the past couple months, what does that do to you? Well, how do you feel when you see that? I love it. And I love what the NBA has done, to be honest. You know, you see Black Lives Matter on jerseys. You see it on the floor. You see guys represented for for the, the late and great um, Chadwick. You see people are speaking out. And that's what it's going to take. We can't just sit back. I mean, you talked about this in depth long ago about us sitting on our platform. When Muhammad Ali died, you got to continue the torch. You know, an, an actor, a kid named um, Denzel Whitaker. He's Forrest Whitaker's son. And he's Denzel Washington, godson. So his wow. name is Denzel Whitaker. So I did a film with him. They just dropped called Cutthroat City, right? Dropped August 21st. He did a video yesterday. And he said, when these greats die, don't let their death go in vain. Carry the torch. Muhammad Ali stood for what he stood for. He lost millions of dollars in his prime because of what he stood for. You know what I mean? I think LeBron James is the same way. Some people don't like his abrasiveness, but... He means what he's saying. He's done a lot for the culture. And when I say the culture, guys, don't get that confused with black people. The culture is anything that, whether it's fashion, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's whatever, it's a culture that's revolved around these things. And it's not all African-American. It's white. It's everything. Demi Lovato was doing things for the culture. You know, I mean, she gave her platform away to these young, to these young um, Black Lives Matter CEOs and things like that to use her platform as a voice. She's a part of the culture. So I'm always going to do that. I love what they're doing. I wish the UFC would do a little bit more. Uh, I'm really, I'm really not happy with that. Um, when the riots happened in Ferguson, I wanted them to utilize me to show positive spin and let's go give back. Let's go do seminars with these kids. Mixed martial art is an affordable martial art that they can do. It'll take them off the street. It'll teach them discipline. Now we'll get more fans in the UFC as well if that's what you want to do it for. But at the end of the day, we need to do more. What the fuck are we doing? You know what I mean? It can't just be all me. It can't be a couple fighters that are just out there protesting with a camera guy just trying to get clout and pictures. It got to be some real shit behind the scenes. So that's what I'm doing. Behind the scenes, I'm cooking up and I'm brewing up to make a large and impactful change. And I, I really would like for the UFC to be an ally in that. You know what I mean? It's not about politics. It's about right and wrong. It's about humans being treated like humans. It's about flattening flattening the curve and even things out. It's about giving people an actual opportunity and hearing people with a sensitive ear not to automatically have a rebuttal, not to automatically have, oh, well, dude, oh, da, da, da. No, listen, because you don't fucking know. I'm telling you, I've come from, I've come from that environment. And things are different. And pro police brutality is real. And racial profiling is real. And stereotyping is real. You know what I mean? And I've seen it. And I've seen my friends beat by police. And I've been harassed. And I've been locked up for no reason. And I've been pulled over, you know what I mean? Because driving while black, I've, I've had that. So don't act like it don't exist. Don't be insensitive. Just because you don't participate in it, just because you haven't been engraced with race, racism through your parents, your ignorance of the fact that it exists is almost as equal as participating in it. So let's all calm the hell down a little bit. Let's listen to somebody else. And let's say, you know what? 
how much is it going to really hurt me to support this? It's not. All you're doing is saying that, okay, everybody should be treated the same. And statistics are showing me that a certain nationality in the United States of America has grossly been treated different. Amen. Tyron, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Good luck to you on September 19th. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great stuff, as always, from Tyron Woodley. Cannot wait for that fight on September 19th. Now, time for everyone's favorite segment of the week. It is time for TST's Minimalist Tip of the Week, brought to you by Modelo. Modelo Especial. Setting the gold standard for authentic Mexican beer since 1925. Modelo. Brewed for those with a fighting spirit. TST's Minimalist Tip of the Week. Ariel, I had this big elaborate story I was going to tell you this week, but uh, we ran out uh, ran out of time here. So I just want to say one quick thing is that I am uh, recognizing you on your minimalist journey here. I was thinking of it the entire time that you were talking to Eric about all the changes to the show early on. You recognized that you were doing this thing that you were so passionate about and you liked it a lot, but then you also realized that it was such a burden on you and that maybe, just maybe, if you removed it from your life, this booking of the show, spending all this time thinking about it, that it was becoming such a burden on you that it was making your overall experience and quality of life and enjoyment of life much worse. So by now taking it away, like minimalists do, you've realized, wait, maybe I didn't need to be doing that all this time. Maybe I'm better off doing it this way. This is what minimalists do. We constantly adapt, we change based on how our emotions are doing. So I would like to commend you on your minimalist journey for doing wow. so. Wow, that is big. Only you can uh, twist this very emotional time in my life into some sort of propaganda for the minimalist culture. I appreciate that. It is good to shed the weight, but I feel like I'm not shedding. I feel like I am packing on some pounds here because we are about to reinvent the wheel once again and continue our dominance at the top of the mixed martial arts mountain and dare I say, the sports mountain as well. And uh, it's TBD if I'm bringing you along for the ride just want to let you know that tst because you know sometimes with your minimalist propaganda it gets to be a little cumbersome in any event we got a lot coming up this past uh week we have we had a lot coming up this past week we have a lot coming up this coming week we have alistair overing versus augustus Sakai on espn plus we've got a whole lot going on on the espn mma youtube twitter instagram all those places more snapchat so go follow those people and most importantly Please rate, download, subscribe, and review this podcast. Let us know. Give us the five star. Do the subscribe thing that Levitard tells you to do, and then unsubscribe, and then subscribe, and unsubscribe. I hear that works. So please do that. I appreciate the love. I appreciate the support. New era, baby. We taking over. NWO for life. Peace. I'm out.